Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me on the show amidst all sorts of free agency movement and rumors and everything else that will probably change the entire landscape of our being as soon as we're done recording. Uh, Mark Schofield from USA Today, one of the uh, best analysts, I think, uh, breaking down football, especially from a quarterback perspective. Mark, what is up, man? Matthew, it's great to be here. It's great to be back with you. Uh, like you said, by the time we get this thing canned, we'll probably have new homes for Jimmy Garoppolo, Jameis Winston, and maybe even Deshaun Watson. That's how quickly things have been moving because we are recording this. Just so people know, it is Tuesday at 106 Eastern Standard Time. We have to put the Eastern Standard Time in because now we get the daylight saving time in the rearview mirror. Whoever decided to have the first day of the legal tampering window coincide with the first day of Eastern Standard Time where we like sprint ahead – can we not do that next year? Because it like threw the entire universe out of whack, I think. Yeah, it totally messes me up. And I was at the Combine, and then that's Eastern time, and then I come back to Central time, which always screws me up kind of anyway. And then the clocks change. So like, right. I, I have no idea what time it is. Um, And the sleep schedule is destroyed, especially when free agency news comes out late anyway sometimes or early in the morning. Uh, but let's let's get into uh, just the landscape here to start. And then I've got some fun things for you. But Russell Wilson goes to the Broncos. Deshaun Watson is rumored to a bunch of different teams. Jimmy Garoppolo has not been traded yet. Uh, but the Vikings decided on the even before the legal tampering begins that they wanted to stick with Kirk Cousins and sign him to a contract extension. And I think that there is a case to extend him to play him as their quarterback this year and then give themselves flexibility in the future, which they did not really do by giving him a no trade clause. But even the timing of this mark is kind of interesting because the Watson domino did not fall. The Garoppolo domino did not fall. And so the Vikings got offers and then decided, no, not good enough. Rather than waiting to see who was left without a chair in this game of quarterback musical chairs. And I just have had a lot of trouble justifying their approach to the Kirk Cousins quarterback situation. What is your take? Yeah, it, it, there are some aspects to it, Matthew, that I think are a little bit confusing and trouble. And certainly the way they structured the deal, number one, not really giving themselves that out after this season, which I think is interesting because you know, I was going to save this idea, but we can jump into it now. I think a lot of the movement we've seen with respect to veteran quarterbacks over the past, say, week or so, whether it's the Cousins extension, whether it's the Wentz trade, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky getting a free agent deal when the man threw as many meaningful passes last year as you and I did, tells us one thing. The league does not like this incoming rookie quarterback class, at least with the respect with respect to the idea that they can play next year. And so if you're looking at this quarterback class and thinking, okay, well, maybe they need a year to season. Why not then give yourself the L? Why not like give yourself the opportunity to do so? You know, we'll ride with Cousins this year because when you look at the veteran landscape, is a, a trade for him and then acquire it, say, a Jameis Winston via free agency or then acquire Garoppolo via trade, is that enough of an upgrade over what you have? And Cousins, maybe not. So we'll ride out with Cousins, with Cousins this year and then give us the out. They didn't do that, which I think is really interesting. And so maybe it gives you an idea into how the Vikings view this quarterback class on the whole, where they're like, no, we, we're going to ride out with what we have for two years. And so I, I think that's part of it. The timing of doing it also, it's kind of very interesting the way they did it on the earlier side and not didn't let the sort of market shake itself out because – what if they hadn't done the extension right now? 
you would have a suitor in those teams that missed out on the Deshaun Watson move, right? Like I read a piece, Mike K over at Pro Football Network now wrote an article today, and it makes sense given the landscape that Gardner Minshew might be a viable option for teams that miss out on the Deshaun Watson move. Well, if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you haven't done the extension yet, and you have an opportunity to perhaps move Kirk Cousins now, you could perhaps take advantage of that. Because I think Kirk Cousins, Gardner Minshew, let's be honest, you might not think that Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback in the league, but he's a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew. And so you might get more of a return if you move Cousins at that time. So the timing of it is interesting. You know, part of me wonders if this is just a move to sort of clear up some stuff financially, just get ahead of it and say, look, you know, maybe it's not the decision that everybody's going to love. Maybe it's a decision that's going to be met with some consternation on the outside and with reason, right? There are some reasons to be somewhat reserved about what Cousins is going to offer next year and what it might do to you, this extension in terms of them building around him. But we'll swallow it now because when we look around and take a step back, what are our better options? And maybe there aren't any. And, and, you know, it, it's it's a tough situation, I, I think, for a lot of Vikings fans and scanning through Vikings Twitter and and your mentions and Arif's mentions. I, I feel for you guys because it, it's – and I, I mean, even the quote tweets to the announcement tweet that was sent out by the organization, which was just like, oh, yeah, let's check in on the quote tweets. And it's just a, a wall of no's in response. I can see where their fan base is at with it. But when you take a step back and look at the other options – maybe this is the best of a bad situation. Well, and that's uh, something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. And I almost want to call it the other options myth um, because this is something that comes up all the time where people will say, well, what's going to be better? Who's going to be better than Kirk Cousins? And the answer is, well, none of these guys are actually better at football than Kirk Cousins. Uh, But if this was baseball, that would be a fine decision because there's no salary cap and you can spend as much money as you want. So if you are the New York Yankees and you're deciding between left fielder A and left fielders B, C, D, E, F, and G, you just sign all of them. Right. Yeah. You just take all of them. Right. But you just take the best one and then you play that guy and you go from there. But in football, it's not like that. I mean, everything is an equation. Everything is how much talent the player gives you versus how much money he costs to give you that talent. And uh, Shil Kapadia said something interesting the other day on the Greenlight podcast, which is Chris Long, the former uh, Philadelphia Eagle and Patriot. He said that competent quarterback play, and this is where I wanted your opinion, has never been easier to find. And he sort of ran through the list of guys who are out there. And in comparison to Kirk Cousins, of course, Jameis Winston is not better. Of course, Teddy Bridgewater or... Uh, Gardner Minshew, as you mentioned, are not better. But in terms of bridge quarterbacks to get you through to the next quarterback that you draft, can you have competent quarterback play that keeps you competitive? And I think the answer is there's probably like a half dozen or more guys who could have given you that level of play when you give them an offensive system that is designed by Sean McVay coming over here and a great receiver in Justin Jefferson, a running game, and then you could fix the offensive line, which as we speak here, they have not done anything to improve their offensive line. Like I I think that that, what that equation does is it not only sort of gives you similar performance or expected performance, 
but then it also leaves you open for the future. If you trade for Gardner Minshew, who cares if you move on from Gardner Minshew? If you right. sign Mitch Trubisky, even if the if the Steelers sign Trubisky to this contract and draft Malik Willis, I would a hundred percent say they've got a better quarterback situation than the Minnesota Vikings because they have an option for the future on a rookie contract that could potentially be built around. And that's where the math just doesn't quite add up for me. And I think that there's a threshold of paying someone this much money that Cousins just does not reach. Yeah, I, I think that's a very important point because when you are going to sink this kind of money and this kind of sort of guaranteed money into the quarterback position, you do it for the guy you win games because of, right? You do it for the guy that regardless of system, regardless of talent, can sort of deliver in those sort of three to five throws per game that make the difference sometimes between winning and losing. And is Kirk Cousins that kind of quarterback? I don't think so. Like I think he's at the upper tier of the guys you win games with which is still makes him a very good quarterback, but maybe not somebody you're giving this kind of contract to. And the other thing is sort of that you, you sort of alluded to there, the flexibility, right? You know, I was at the combine too. I was at Howie Roseman's podium session, for example. And he talked about, you know, the successful teams are the ones that have the flexibility, both from a cap space perspective and from a draft capital perspective to give themselves more bites at an apple, right? If you've got just like one pick in the first round and a limited amount of cap space to play with, you better get everything right. Otherwise, you're going to be behind the eight ball from a roster construction standpoint. And the draft is an inexact science. Free agency is an inexact science. You might think you have a good read on a player you're signing, but maybe the fit just isn't quite right. And now if you've only had two cracks at it and they both fail, you're in a bad position. But if you have the flexibility from a cap space standpoint and the flexibility from a draft capital standpoint to take those extra bites in an apple, you can miss on half of them, but still be successful. The good teams, the well-run organizations have that flexibility. This is something that Minnesota might sort of lack right now because when you've tied yourself to Cousins, what else can you really do? You're sort of looking at that secondary and tertiary free agency market for like the guys that will sign later this week and into next week and hoping you get those evaluations right. And maybe they do, but it's a tougher needle to sort of thread there. And then when you're talking about a quarterback like you walked us through, that you've got receivers that are very good to elite. We've got a very good running game, but you need the offensive line to be right, and you can't really quite do that, at least initially in free agency or via the draft, because of what you've now tied yourself to. It makes it that much harder for a quarterback that needs things around him to be right, to be successful. And so it's a it's a very narrow needle that they're trying to thread right out. Maybe they pull it off, but the error band is really sort of small. Right. And uh, that's even just from the roster building perspective. And I also think the band is very small from a cousin's talent perspective, but I wanted your observation on this because I became aware of your work. I don't know a while back, but your analysis of quarterbacks. And of course you're a former superstar quarterback yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you did play, play the uh, position and, and you've done these great analysis pieces throughout your career as a writer on quarterbacks. And so I want you to tell me, am I missing something here? Like, am I not seeing something about Kirk Cousins that would be uh, the difference or the string that could be pulled by Kevin O'Connell um, between what he has done so far in his career and getting to that next level of taking a team deep in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the first times you and I sort of did some shows together was after a piece I wrote about Cousins 
baker versus chef. And that's sort of, it's a variation of an analogy we hear all the time. You hear, you know, tractors versus trailers. You hear bus riders versus bus, you know, drivers and things like that. But the idea that there are sort of two different kinds of quarterbacks, there's the guys that are the sort of chefs, right? That like, yeah, you'll, they'll follow a script, but when you're, you know, making pasta or something in the kitchen, calls for a tablespoon of garlic and you dump a half a jar of garlic in there. It's not really going to ruin things. It might just have a little more heat to it. But then there are the baker types where like, if it calls for a, you know, two cups of flour and you throw in five, cause you're like, Hey, let's, let's try something new. It's not going to come out right. Like you have to follow that stuff step by step by step. That's the kind of quarterback that, that um, Kirk Cousins is, you know, he's more of that bigger type where like if the play and I, I literally have uh, two, two sprints ago during COVID huddle, the like film production company that does like football clips, they had their like huddle huddle clinic and this little post-it right here is from Kirk Cousins's demonstration where he talked about like progression reads, man versus zone, shells, cover two, cover three, or pure progressions. And he was talking about how he sort of reads plays out. And I have that post-it up here because A, it's a nice little reminder of what quarterbacks are doing, but B, it gives you some insight that like, Cousins isn't like, you know, I, I'm also going to look for a favorable matchup. Or if I see Justin Jefferson aligned against the linebacker, my eyes are going there. He's even in this sort of sterilized clinic environment telling you like, yeah, this is how I read plays out. Like I'm going to read as a pure progression and I'm going, you know, my X to my Y to my A or something like that. That's what he does on plays. Now there's benefits to that. Coaches love quarterbacks like that because they're more controllable. You know, you're not having the risk of a guy coming back to the side that I say, yeah, I know that the three reads that I had to the right side were wide open, but I just really like the feel of this guy running a go route against a, a corner playing 15 yards off. I just kind of like the matchup and threw it and threw a pick. And I know we're not going to lose this. We're going to lose this game now, but you know, I like the matchup. Um, you don't get really that with cousins. He's going to go by the step. He's going to go by the book. And in an offense like this system that you're going to see with Kevin O'Connell, this is a system that got Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Like you can make, you know, a run into the playoffs with a robotic type of quarterback like Goff was in that system. The problem, and this is something I saw firsthand, you still need that guy to elevate it. Because if you look back at that Goff Super Bowl, what was the biggest play of that game, Matthew? It was a play where Jared Goff hesitated. He hesitated. He had Brandon Cooks open for a post route. And if he just throws it with the slightest bit of anticipation – you got a touchdown, but instead he waits. He hesitates. Jason McCourty comes from the sideline to break it up in the back of the end zone. If Goff doesn't hesitate, that's a touchdown. And I swear we're talking about a different Brady legacy. We're talking about a different Patriots legacy. We're talking about Jared Goff, Super Bowl winner. But in that moment when they needed him to make one of those three to five throws, he couldn't do it. And I think that's kind of the cousin's tear of quarterback. Like, will he get you there? Yeah. But in that moment, will he deliver on that throw? I think that's a much more open question, which gets you, again, back to the idea that, yeah, it's, he's a good quarterback, but other good quarterbacks could get this kind of offense there. Is paying him what you're paying him going to be worth it when you still kind of have that kind of quarterback you're dealing with? Right. And the other point to be made is that, you know, you look at the receivers that Jared Goff had that year, they're absolutely fantastic. And you yep. look at the offensive line that he had that year. It's fantastic. The defense, yep. uh, that was the Wade Phillips defense still, but they had a keep to and they, they brought in all these players yep. with the money that they had at that time before they signed Goff to the extension or before it kicked in. Uh, yep. And then you're talking about the same thing that we always end up coming back to, which is, 
the rookie quarterback contract where you can be even worse than Kirk Cousins, which I think Jared Goff is, and yet achieve more if you're even in his ballpark of being able to be an executor like you're talking about. Uh, and that's what I wanted to ask you is, so you mentioned that the quarterback class, the league obviously does not respect it. And I think that that's very much true and that the draft analysts who are telling us that are like, right. Like they're hearing from the NFL people that they talk to the draft reporters that, Hey, the NFL is not high on these guys. Um, and yet the history of the NFL drafting quarterbacks is very dodgy. What is your opinion on the draft class? Like, was it so bad that the Vikings are justified in saying, nah, don't want any of these guys. Let's stick with what we have. I don't think it's that bad as it's sort of being made out to be, but I think the expectations have to be adjusted somewhat because last year, for example, we knew Trevor Lawrence is playing right away. You know, Zach Wilson is going to play right away. Matt Jones with where he went is going to play right away. I I still thought Trey Lance could have played from day one. Niners went in a different direction. I thought Justin Fields should have played right away. It's it's not that kind of group. Like Malik Willis, he may end up being the first quarterback taken. He might need a little time. Kenny Pickett, I think, is close to being ready, but teams might not feel comfortable with how he responds to pressure, particularly when it's coming from an area he's not expected. I think Desmond Ritter is very close to being able to play right away, but – you know, you're still seeing that he's been late first round guy, if that, um, you know, Matt Corral from Mississippi, he's going to face a big adjustment. And when he talked at the combine, all the teams are asking him about like the adjustment from Lane Kiffin's offense to what he'd be doing in the NFL. And if you watch him on third and long situations, Kiffin was kind of like, yeah, you're throwing a smoke screen because I'm not going to trust you to read out like a concept on third and long situations. We're just going to see if we can bust something and then pump the football. I mean, that's not a huge vote of confidence for, yeah, draft this guy and start him week one in the NFL against the Aaron Donalds of the world. And so I, I think there's a reluctance to play these guys right away. It's not that these guys aren't talented. It's just they're going to need a little bit of time. And again, when you're seeing teams like Washington that sit at 11, could have drafted any of these guys to play, now decide we're going to give up assets for Carson Wentz and pay his entire salary. And let's not forget, you know, while Quasey was at the podium, Chris Ballard was at another podium and just torched. Carson Wentz basically saying, look, I, I spent an hour on the phone with him, a 29 year old veteran quarterback in the NFL on how he needs to get better at handling coaching and criticism. Like he walks out of that podium. I walk in cause I just landed and everybody's like Ballard just obliterated Carson Wentz. There's no way Ballard's going to be able to trade for him. He's going to have to cut him. Nobody's going to want him. And what did Washington do a second and a third that can become a second and took on his full salary. That right there tells you how the league views this quarterback class. Um, I'm not as low on it. And I think for a team like Minnesota, if, as we talked about at the start, you're going to say, all right, we're going to roll with Cousins for this year, but we're going to give us this out where we can get out of it for next year. Then, you know, maybe not at 12 do you draft a quarterback, but if a Desmond Ritter is there at 46, if a Carson Strawn is there at 46, if a Sam Howell is there at 46, you draft the guy and you sort of give him that red shirt year because you don't think you can play right away, but now you have that out built in. You can move on from Cousins. You start the rookie in his second season now, so he's not truly a rookie, but it's his first year as a starter, and you see what happens, and you take advantage of that sort of rookie contract window because as we're talking, the Los Angeles Chargers are signing everybody under the sun. I mean, J.C. Jackson, they swing the trade for Khalil Mack. Like, they are loaded up because they know in three years or so, you're going to have to back up five Brinks trucks to Justin Herbert's house 
to give him that huge extension. And now maybe he's a guy that sort of elevates the level of play around you, but you still want to take advantage of that window. That's something the Vikings, that's an opportunity they don't have right now. Folks, support for Purple Insider is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, and they recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle Performance Package. Four million men have trusted Manscaped, and you can check out their exclusive offer for 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider at manscaped.com. Manscaped sent me the performance package and I could say that it's a game changer, especially when it comes to their nose and eyebrow hair trimmer called the Weed Whacker. I'm a unibrow guy, so I need to keep that in check for all the YouTube videos and streams that we do. You've probably also heard of the lawnmower as well, and they've come out with a 4.0 version, which is waterproof. It has an LED light and advanced skin safe technology, so you don't have to worry about any nicks or cuts. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider. That's 20insider at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code 20insider. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I, I think that there's a forest and trees issue with the draft class where um, not being available or ready right away. Is all it's, I mean, when, when are they? I mean, wh- right. when, when are rookie quarterbacks able to come right in and win? Isn't it the case that like no rookie quarterback has even ever taken a team to the Super Bowl? Like, if you're trying to save your job by bringing in a rookie, we saw Chicago do that with, with John Fox was there with Mitch Trubisky right. and they signed Mike Glennon and turn it over to Trubisky a few weeks in. And of course, he's fired at the end of the season. Justin Field, same sort of deal. Oh, let's bring him in and we'll play him right away. And he'll take us to the next level because he's so talented. Sure is, but he has no idea what he's doing. And at the NFL level, especially coming from Ohio State, where everyone is wide open all the time and you have great pass protection, I mean, things are just so much different in terms of environment. Justin Fields, I think, hung on to the ball for three and a half seconds in college. Good luck doing that in the NFL yeah. where the average snap to release is two and a half seconds. And and so I think any team who's drafting to say, well, you know, this guy's not going to take us anywhere next year. The answer is that guy never takes you anywhere in the first year. Mac Jones is an outlier. And even then first round of right. the playoffs and, and they're out and it's not good enough. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, teams usually are, are panicked in sort of like one year horse blinders and not thinking enough down the road. But I wanted to ask you about you know, the point that I've sort of been making is like, look, the NFL can't see ahead a couple of years with these quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. These guys are number one overall picks if you redraft. And yet, um, you know, all of them sort of got at least looked over by teams that definitely should have drafted them. So what do you think it is that that teams missed with those guys and might miss with this draft class? Because I think I could be wrong. Someone will be good. I don't know who it is, but right. I think someone out of these guys will ultimately be good. And we'll be looking back and going, well, you know, the NFL, they just didn't believe Desmond Ritter was, I don't know, whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think those three quarterbacks, Matthew, are like three entirely different case studies, but they're all very smart case studies to look at. We'll start with Lamar Jackson, because there was a lot of uh, this misconstrued belief that Jackson you know, even putting aside the idea that he needed to switch positions, that he ran a simplified offense, that he couldn't make progression reads, that he couldn't work full field reads, where I've got Coach Petrino's book within arm's reach right now, which is a brilliant read because basically 
he takes his entire playbook and opens it up and says, here are all the concepts that we, we ran and how we coach them and the progression reads. But there's this huge undercurrent to it, which is just everybody got Lamar wrong because my offense is a pro-style passing game with pro-style progression reads, and that's what Lamar was doing. And, yes, were there moments when an, a route was open and he just took it off and ran and turned third and seven into first and ten in the opponent's red zone? Yeah. And that's why I came up with a two-tiered graded system, grading your decision-making and grading your execution of it. Because if Lamar dropped back and had a route open but decides, I'm going to run this and he scrambles for 55 yards, how can I give that a negative grade? I might give the decision a negative grade, but the execution, that's a 10 out of 10. And so I think the league missed on sort of what Lamar was asked to do. They saw sort of the flashy elements of his game and they thought – He's just an athlete playing quarterback. He's not doing quarterback stuff. Bobby Petrino, Coach Petrino laid it out in that book. And so uh, I think that's where the league missed with Lamar. With Allen, it was sort of an accuracy and rawness. It was he's completed 59% of his passes. He's not above 60. Like he's doing things in the Mountain West Conference against teams like BYU and Idaho State that aren't going to work in the NFL. And you know, yes, he's got a great arm, but he can't hit the broad side of a barn. What I think more than anything else they missed on Allen, Matthew, was his willingness to do the work. I mean, we're talking about a guy that might be one out of one or like one out of a handful, but you look at the work he's done in the offseason, the work he's done with Jordan Palmer, the way he really fixed and fine-tuned his mechanics and became a guy that's going to hit on 67% of his passes, which is just an astronomical leap from where he was. That's what the league kind of missed there, which is why when it comes to a guy like Malik Willis, they might be willing to place that bet now because they've seen how it can work. And Allen's working with you know Jordan Palmer. Malik's working with Quincy Avery. They've got the private quarterback coach in place. And so I think that was kind of the miss there. With Herbert, I think it was twofold. I, I think you know we view quarterback, and quarterback is a leadership position. And I think there was a misidentification of his leadership ability because he talked about it at the senior bowl that year. He said, look, I'm a shy, quiet guy. I'm, I'm reading books about how to be a leader. People thought you needed to be that sort of rah, rah. He's not going to command a locker room. He's not going to get the respect of veterans. He does it through his play. He's that quiet sort of reserved guy. And now it's become a meme where like their media, their social media team tries to get him on camera and he's running away from them and doesn't like to be mic'd up, but the guys want to play for him because of what he does when the play begins, when he does, when the ball is snapped. And so there's that, and there was also the offense, the offense that he ran. I don't think did him any favors. It was a lot of bubbles, a lot of screens, not a lot of layered throws in the middle of the field. Now you look at, you know, Matt Corral out of Mississippi. It's a similar sort of discussion. And if Corral ends up being the guy that hits, but he's drafted, say, late in the first round, I think it will be a similar scenario where teams looked at Lane Kiffin's offense and said, how's that going to translate? And they ignored the fact that when he's asked to do some of those things, like attack the middle of the field or move defenders with his eyes. He does them at a pretty high level. And I get similar vibes. Like I was, I, I wrote the piece for, for Matt Waldman's site about, you know, making the case for Justin Herbert being QB one that year. And I was a coward. And at the end I made him QB three, but I was pretty high on him. And it was because of those flashes where it's like, you could see the layered throws. You could see him attack leverage. You could see how that stuff's going to translate. Yeah. Oregon's offense was bad to showcase it. But if you dig deep enough, you can find it. Something similar could happen with Matt Corral. 
You know, I also think that every time that I've been right about a quarterback, which I have the 50% of everybody else. Look, right? man, I, I can go through some of my L's if you want. I have a litany of them. We all miss on quarterbacks, the, the NFL as much as anybody else. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm going to make you talk about them in a second. Uh, awesome. But uh, since you brought it up, <laughs> but but when I've been right, it's always been the guy who just had the raw talent that I thought, okay, well, he does special things. Lamar Jackson, uh, the Vikings had a chance to draft him in 2018. And my thing was, okay, so he's really raw and an insane athlete. You just signed Kirk Cousins to a short-term contract. Like, doesn't this match up? And they drafted a corner who never played for them basically and went to the chiefs and now he's a free agent. Like that's who you chose instead because you picked a position you sort of needed right away uh, to fill out your depth of your cornerback room. And you passed on somebody that had freakish talent, but was not refined yet. And the other one is Patrick Mahomes where I, I loved watching Patrick Mahomes and he would, and I remember watching the Gruden QB camp and he used this throw where he's rolling to his left and he flips his hips in like Derek Jeter style fashion. Yeah. Cause I know you're a Boston guy uh, <laughs> flips, <laughs> flips his hips and throws the ball like 57 yards down the field. It was one of the most insane things I've ever th- seen for a touchdown. It was like, I know this isn't NFL stuff that we ever really see, but who can do that with their arm and right. always and forever. It's a league of big dudes throwing the ball super hard. And this is the point about cousins where it's like, I know he's good at executing all the things we talked about. I understand why coaches love him. Hey, if I draw this up, he'll make that play. But Terry Bradshaw, like back in the day, Joe Namath, like what do these guys have in common all the way through history is usually that there's like this special physical gift that they have. And the ones that I've missed on have been players that I thought like, oh, watch how this guy executes his offense in college. Look at him making all these whole field reads. And a lot of times it's like, I'm not sure that that's really the thing that translates. Yeah. And and I I, look, the misses that I've had have been over estimating the ability of those pocket passer types that have it from that mental perspective to translate to today's game. I mean, that 2018 class, I could write a dissertation on how I got that wrong. Okay. Because I had Josh Rosen QB one. Me too. Like, I mean, I love Rosen. I've talked and, about it on the show a number of times. Yeah. And my argument, oh, he's pro ready. He makes reads good footwork of the pocket. Like, is he a great athlete? No, but he can slide around like Tom Brady. And I will say, anytime you start going down the lane of, well, he can do something like Tom Brady, just stop. You know, repeat that sentence out loud and stop, okay? Because Tom Brady also kind of one of one. Um, Another guy that I liked in the following year, Brett Rippin from Boise State. Again, oh, third and seven. He's going to hand in there, adjust the protection, and throw an out route. The name of the game in the NFL right now is what can you do in secondary reaction moments? What can you do off of structure? Because, yeah, if you have a nice offensive line, great. You can throw the out route on third and seven and move the chains, and everybody's going to love you. It's all. It's another reason why I liked Connor Cook the year he came up, because he could do things like that. Life isn't perfect in the NFL, and pockets certainly are not. And if you can't make those secondary moves, if you can't do things off structure, you're going to struggle. And then you get to the arm talent issue, which is that gives you the ultimate plus one in this game, right? Take Josh Allen. Another reason Allen was able to be successful was – the arm talent that he has, he can take that extra half a second in the pocket and say, is this really open to our mind? Yeah. 
and throw it, and it's still going to get there where it needs to be. Whereas a guy like a Burrow, a guy like a Mac Jones, is going to have to really be ahead of it with his mind. It gives you that wider error band. And so my misses have typically been on the side of the like the guys that can play from the pocket. Now I've you know sort of readjusted how I view the position now, and you know the Watson Mahomes year, I had Watson one Mahomes two, like because I was starting to see like oh yeah, you need this athleticism. You know, I went back and forth, Matthew, Kyler Murray versus Dwayne Haskins. In years past, I would have said, look, Dwayne Haskins, he's a pocket passer. Like, you know, yeah, he can't move. He's a battleship. But I really like what he could do at 37 and read stuff out. And then you see Kyler Murray. It's just like, no, that's where the game is trended. And so, you know, my misses have been on that sort of same like pocket passer. But you see where this game is trending, that ability to create offer structure, that ability to do you know, extra things from the pocket, that ability to be a chef when you have to be a chef that matters now. Uh, Ryan Finley was one that I was like, you guys are sleeping on Ryan Finley, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked Finley too. And I, really smart guy. I mean, he had like a double masters or something. I remember talking to him at his senior bowl and I was asking him about route concepts and stuff and he was breaking it all down. I'm like, yeah, man, this, this guy's got it from here, but then you ask him to throw a deep out route, left hash to right sideline, and it's a bit more of a roller coaster. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, one word, you can get 15% off your purchase. That's right, at sodastick.com, your place for Minnesota sports inspired apparel. You can get 15% off just by using the code Purple Insider. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including the Axe is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy. Moss is the GOAT, the Purple People Eaters, Bud Grant Designs for the old school fan, plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year, and Soda Stick has you covered there as well. Go to sodastick.com, that is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. Yeah, that's uh, it. I think maybe even a product of like when you and I are sort of coming up in the game, like starting to write about it and things like that. We're watching Drew Brees and Philip Rivers and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady dominate the game. Yep. And those are execution quarterbacks. Uh, but, you know, of course, with physical skills, so a lot of them, right. you know, first round picks and things like that. And I think that it sort of got hardwired because all the football people would always talk about like, well, these are the best quarterbacks and look yep. at breeze and look at how he goes through his reads and he's accurate. And I remember this being a thing is like, Oh, accuracy way over arm strength. And then now we've sort of gone the other way around where it's like, well, they can draw up enough wide open throws for you. And everyone is simplifying. Everyone's running boots for their quarterbacks and things like that, that are just making life a lot easier. And then it comes down to, all right, 95% of you can execute X, Y, and Z who can do X, X, Y, Z or whatever. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. so that's, that's kind of the thing. And with how it applies to this draft class, that's why Willis, and Pickett sort of stand out to me because I see a little bit of that creativity with Pickett uh, and with Willis, it's obviously the man can throw bombs. And yeah. so those two stand out ahead, I think, of the others in my mind. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, Matthew. I mean, I grew up with like Montana, like 
that was, you know, I wore 16 when I was playing Pop Warner because of Joe Montana. Like, that's who I grew up watching. I think one of the most, like, prescient, you know, bits of philosophical wisdom I've seen in recent years was Justice Mosqueda, who talked about, like, you know, the guys that grew up watching Montana are getting phased out of the league. The guys like Brady, the guys like Rivers, the guys like Peyton. Now we're getting the guys that grew up watching Brett Favre. And so they're like, I don't need to know what a nickel defense is. I don't need to know what cover two is. I'm just going to grip it and rip it. And now the next generation, you can see it. Like I remember Anthony Gordon from Washington State. He had a play where he had a wide open route in the middle of the field, and he tried to no look it, and he missed it by like three yards. And I brought up that Justice tweet when I clipped it myself, and I'm like, now we're getting the kids that watch Mahomes. Like so this next generation, they're going to be all about just like, I'm going to no look whole shots against cover two or whatever coverage it doesn't matter. I'm just going to grip it and rip it and no look it when I can. And so the evaluation has changed to sort of keep up with the way the kids that are playing the position now, what they've grown up watching, you know, who they've modeled their game after. Like when my 10 year old son and his friends play football on the street, nobody's working through progression reads like Tom Brady. They're just like trying to like no look throws on one end and the kids trying to Odell it on the back end. That's the next generation of kids playing this game. It's like when you watch basketball, high school basketball, and kids are shooting from the logo because yeah. of Steph Curry. I, yeah, you the, probably saw that clip that was going around Twitter like two weeks yes. ago where it was just like back and back, like half court threes because they want to be Curry. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for, for me and my brother, uh, backyard Brett Favre. I mean, that's yeah. definitely the thing. Um, so I, I wanted to just get your opinion on a few other things that have gone on. Actually, we could play a little game with this. Uh, does this team know what it's doing or not? How about that? Uh, and we'll finish with the Vikings. So does uh, does the Denver Broncos, do the Denver Broncos know what they're doing, trading for Russell Wilson and signing Randy Gregory when they are in a division with Mahomes, Herbert, and all the players that the Chargers just put around uh, their quarterback. Do they know what they're doing in trading their entire future or a big chunk of it for Russell Wilson? I think so. Just because that's what you have to do to contend now. I mean, and, and I think from Denver's perspective last year, they felt like if they had just even, you know, competent, consistent quarterback play, they could have made some noise, you know, maybe snuck into the playoffs. They didn't get that from Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. And they also saw a team in the Los Angeles Rams just say, you know what? Jared Goff isn't getting us to where we need to be. We need somebody that gives us a little more. We're going to trade future assets to go get a veteran quarterback that we think gives us that guy at the quarterback position. So seeing that, I think the, the swing that they made makes sense. Of course, you're going to have to then grade it on did they win a Super Bowl or not. I, I think that's an appropriate way to then revisit that trade in, say, four years. But, yeah, you've got Mahomes to deal with. You've got Herbert to deal with. You've got all the assets now in that AFC West – you're close. You need that quarterback piece. And as we talked about, I'm sure that, you know, sitting there at nine, they were like, none of these guys are going to work for us. Let's go get Russell Wilson. Yeah. And there's really no way out. Like yeah. Herbert is young. Mahomes is not going anywhere. Uh, Derek Carr is good. Like you have yeah, to I mean, play. It's, it's, it's you know, not, not that you really want to bring up the idea of a, you know, nuclear arms race in the current climate we're all living through, but like this is football's version of it. Uh, do the Indianapolis Colts know what they're doing? Trading away Carson Wentz for not a whole lot, but not a terrible return considering he's bad. Uh, but also 
playing sort of roulette with the quarterback situation, not having one deciding, are we going to trade for one? Are we going to draft one? Uh, does Indianapolis know what they're doing? Not really. I mean, Ballard, I think, deserves some credit for recognizing that Wentz wasn't working and getting what he did for him. I think that's good. And I think a lot of general managers sometimes just say, look, I made this trade. we got to find a way to make it work. And Ballard just ripped the Band-Aid off and said, no. But they've struggled to figure out the quarterback position over the past couple of years. Like, it's been a, a big question mark for them. And so they got to get that piece right. Like, they haven't shown that they're going to do it yet. If they turn around and then give up a, a ton of draft capital to then get Jimmy Garoppolo, like, again, that's just spinning their little quarterback wheel here. I'd like to see them get a longer-term fix for that position. And until they do that, it's hard to really buy in. And like, yeah, they've got it all figured out. Yeah, and their general manager gets a ton of praise for his hits that are draft picks. But what does it matter when you're when you miss the QB? Right. When you hit on a guard, congratulations. Put up a banner says we hit on a guard. I mean, like what that that's what sort of baffles me about teams who will pass on quarterbacks. This is the Chase Young, Justin Herbert thing with Washington. You're like, congrats. Chase Young seems like he's gonna be pretty good for a long time. Taylor Heineken. Heineken. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh Do Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady know what they're doing by continuing to play football? I think so, because they're looking around the NFC and thinking, all right, the Rams are probably good, but we come back, we still got a good shot to get to a Super Bowl. I mean, if if they were, you know, if one was still in New England and one was, you know, as was rumored going to Denver, I think they might look at that and say, you know what? You look at that crowded AFC landscape, like, is it really worth it to come back? I think Tom Brady was out of the game for two months and realized, man, now Russell Wilson's leaving the NFC. Like, yeah, you know, Aaron Rodgers is back, but like, and the Rams are probably going to be good, but Carson Wentz doesn't really scare me out of the NFC East. Like the Cowboys, they're like shedding people left and right. They just completely botched their attempt at re-signing Randy Gregory, apparently. Man, I can come back and if we can get most of the band back together – we can make another deep run. And plus with Brady, some of his best football last year. I mean, so I think those guys know that the NFC is a bit weaker, at least on paper as compared to the AFC and sitting in right now, they got to feel pretty good about their chances to get back to a Super Bowl. Okay. One more. Uh, does anyone else in the NFC know what they're doing? No. Uh, uh, NFC, NFC South, I was going to say, but NFC is fine. No, <laughs> NFC mean- South is what I meant. NFC sort of seems questionable. I mean, we're here from the South, the two teams that are really sort of hot for the Deshaun Watson trade, the Panthers and the Saints. And look, I, I know the grand jury thing came out late last week, but we still are talking about a quarterback that is facing 22 accusations of sexual assault, who is involved in ongoing civil litigation. And as a admittedly bad former civil attorney i can tell you cases spin out of control sometimes and you might think you have a good handle of it and you don't and look there were nine accusations in the grand jury hearing that was held last week there's still the 22 in civil litigation the nfl has yet to sort of step in if you end up like from carolina's perspective giving up three future ones you know this year next year combination thereof a brian burns jeremy chin and another piece on your defensive side of the ball for a guy that might then get suspended for eight games once the trade goes through that's a lot to give up in terms of draft capital for a guy that's only gonna play half the season and so you know the watson situation you know i i, I look he's a talented quarterback don't get me wrong but there's more to the watson situation than what he does between the lines and 
going all in on that and giving up that kind of cost seems a lot to me, but teams apparently seem well to do it. And I'm reminded of the, the Steve Kime one-liner at the combine a couple of years ago, if Hannibal Lecter ran a four, three, we'd call it an eating disorder. Like the NFL just has this view on things. Like if you can win, you can help us win. We'll deal with it. We'll ride it out. Deshaun Watson's situation is as bad as these accusations are. You read these lawsuits and everything. These are horrible accusations. Teams are going to say, well, you know, no criminal penalties. Let's go get them. And, and they're always willing to disregard their fans. Uh, yeah. Te- and that's, right. That's the other thing. Like, how can you make this move and then turn around to your fan base, the majority of whom or, you know, a near majority of whom are female and say, all right, let's go root for our quarterback. Go go buy that pink number four jersey for uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Like, that's that's a really tough sell in my mind. Now, teams are going to do it. A team's going to do it. I wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's different than some other legal issues players have had in the past. Um, right. In part, well, I mean, in part because of the nature of it, but also because you are not just bringing this person in for a second chance at life or something. This is like you are making him the face of your entire franchise yep. for a very long time. You are making him a huge part of your community. And you mentioned Josh Allen. You know, I'm from Buffalo originally. I mean, that is a guy that owns the keys to the city. That is, I mean, when you are the quarterback, I mean, Drew Brees in New Orleans, yeah. like you are a major, major figure in that city. And like, this is what you're bringing in to represent yourself and your and community. And that's the cost in draft capital and players right. that you might have to give up to do it. That is a heavy lift. And it's why, you know, you're seeing a lot of speculation reported that these are ownership level decisions. And I think at that point they would have to be, because as the owner of the organization, you have to have the this is your call at this point. Like, if you're willing to do it in the name of winning games, okay. So the Minnesota Vikings know what they're doing. It's okay to say no. We just did a whole podcast on it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, my lean right now is no. If they had – the Cousins restructure in a sort of vacuum is fine. Like, I get it, and there, there are reasons why you do it. I just think, as we talked about, the timing of it, number one, and the lack of that easy out after this season – it makes it a little bit tougher. Like if they had done that, even if the timing was done the way it was, got out ahead of it, you know, did the deal, did the extension, but giving themselves that little window of an out or at least, you know, no, no, no trade clause aspect to it. Then, yeah, you could have drafted a quarterback at 46, a 12, even if you wanted to. And then giving yourself that opportunity down the road where maybe it comes together nicely for you, you get everything else right and you thread that needle in this year, and then you have the out for next year, you can go ahead with a rookie, sort of reset that market, try to take advantage of that rookie contract. They didn't give themselves that opportunity, so it's a bit tougher to say, yeah, I get it. Now, it could still work. It could still work, as we just got done talking about. The NFC is kind of open right now, and you know maybe Rodgers struggles a little bit, or you know maybe the Bucks don't quite have the magic they did two years ago. Maybe the Rams have a Super Bowl handover, Minnesota is around catches fire, things go break entirely right for them. They stay healthy. It could still work. But when we talk about, we've used the phrase error bands a lot. This one's pretty thin. Yeah. And that's the way we've been talking about this team for quite some time now. And I, I think that 
a lot of fans, vast majority, wanted to hear something else. Wanted to hear like, hey, future, you are the team of the future. Um, it's hard to say that for them right, right. now. Uh, well, uh, follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D, the NFL Wire at USA Today. Uh, just, uh, Mark, truly, you are one of the people that when you write something, I want to read it. Um, I want your opinion on everything you write, and I steal a lot of your opinions, except for- I stole the Josh Rosen one. It didn't work out. So no, I was just going to say, man, <laughs> not the all of them. Steal the good ones. Okay? That's right. Like, That's don't right. steal the bad ones. <laughs> and, you know, let me also put it this way. If you see me tweet something, it's something I firmly believe in because I tend to hide the other stuff. Like I've been defending the Christian Kirk move, um, interestingly enough, but only in like podcast and article form. I've been sliding those in there. Um, you know, if you see me like hiding a take, don't steal that one. <laughs> that's the one you're not you're, sure about you're the ones i put out there because i feel a bit better about those <laughs> sounds good man well great to catch up with you uh, i really appreciate all of your insight and i uh, hope we can do it again soon looking forward to it my friend